Okay, let's pick it up in, we'll pick it up in verse 9. Now, I, I can't begin to mine the gold, so to speak, uh, of all these verses just in one simple, or one sermon, rather. Uh, I'm going to try. Um, in fact, this sermon may actually be two or three, four weeks. We'll see. <laughs> and, I, and I'll refresh this. So if, if you're, we're starting verse 9 with a question. Don't worry, I'll, I'll refresh this. Uh, verse 9 says, How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. Now, what things is he talking about? <laughs> Donna, you got to stop doing that, all right? You got to. Y'all, hey, it's going to go faster, all right? I promise. What things is he talking about here? Regeneration, being reborn, all right? This is what he's talking about. And I, and I just had to do that because you know, Judson didn't necessarily go through all of that in detail, but I wanted to. Um, that being born again is the birth. Y'all calm down. Being reborn is the spiritual rebirth, right? And this is the gift that only God gives us. That's reborn. And, and this, y'all, this, this, this takes Nicodemus by surprise. A teacher of the law. And in fact, he's, Nicodemus is out for the count for the rest of, of the conversation here. And he has been taken by surprise at what Jesus has told him. And so the thing that he says is how can these things be? Look at verse uh, 10. I, I love Jesus's response because Jesus is, I, I would want to think that Jesus would have read verse 10 like this. Ain't you one of them teachers of Israel and you don't know these things? I don't know how that's how Jesus would have said it, but I'm I'm trying to lean towards that I'm tr I'm being more like Jesus, and I know how how sarcastic and uh, rude I guess I can be sometimes, and so I would have asked the same thing like, "Ain't you? Wait, I thought I, I thought you were the oh, okay. I must have been mistaken. <laughs> that's what Jesus, Jesus is almost like he's jabbing at Nicodemus here. I thought you were one of those Pharisees, but let me break it on down for you." And so what Jesus had to do is really tell Nicodemus, it is not your knowledge of the word that is going to make you any more significant to anyone. It's not how your pedigree, it's not how that uh, Nicodemus was a religious uh, leader in his time. And so it would have been almost like for us today having a senator come talk to Jesus. And now he is shocked that Jesus would have told him this. How can this be? And Jesus is like, you don't understand. Like, I thought you were a teacher of the word. Okay. Looks like you're not, buddy. Now, you sit down from being a teacher and you become a pupil of me, and I'll tell you how it goes. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. All right, so he's telling him, you've got to be reborn. Nicodemus is shocked. And look at verse 4. Uh, well, I'll keep reading verse 10. Aren't you a teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things, Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If you have told you, if I had told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe? I tell you about heavenly things. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, before I get to verse 14, this, that's the scene that's, that's happening here. This was really hard news for Nicodemus to take. Now, some commentaries 
uh, that if you read this on uh, John chapter 3, would tell you that, in fact, Jesus' conversation ended right there, and John's commentary picked up right here. I don't know if you've ever read it. it. It's the inspired, breathed word of God, okay? So it really doesn't matter, that conversation. Uh, so look at verse uh, 14, and here's where we're going to spend some time at this morning. This gets really crazy. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who believes by the truth comes to the light so that his work may be shown to be accomplished by God. Now, this is, um, this is interesting. I think what this is showing uh, to us this morning is who you really are versus who God really is and really what God has been sent to accomplish for us. If you'll notice, this is very, very intriguing to me because we just got through talking to Nicodemus and now we're talking about snakes. Did he, does anybody not find verse 14 weird? I mean, so, so here's, we love John three sixteen, all right? I mean, that was a, a huge uh, thing in the day where everybody knew John 3.16, all right? In fact, it's one of the uh, more known, more popular verses, I, I would suggest, like, with everybody, right? Everybody knows John 3.16, all right? And it's very powerful, and, and I really want to caution you not to view that scripture as, like, some kind of beginner intro to the gospel, all right? This is not just for beginners who have just become saved. John 3.16 is for those who have been saved for decades, all right? Now, in order for you to really understand the love of God that's being displayed in John 3.16, you've really got to understand context of what's happening around John 3.16. And the context that's happening around John 3.16 is talking about a snake. Now, I would have named this title Snake Handlers, but... Judson already ran off everybody, so I didn't run off anybody else, all right? Um, so I didn't want to do that, uh, but I just thought that was weird. Like, Jesus, you just, you just, you just said that you're a snake? This is what Jesus just did. He's comparing himself to a snake. Isn't that weird? Does anybody like snakes? Now, don't be that weird guy and be like, I do, because you're lying, all right? Nobody likes snakes. <laughs> They're weird, they're slithery, and they're creepy. You don't know which ones are going to kill you, which ones are there to, like, help and benefit. Like, when, when we lived down in Hughley, um, we used to have snakes, like, all the time. Now, these were the good kind of snakes, 
But there, in Mirinda's view, was no such thing as a good kind of snake. There were king snakes, and king snakes, they eat all the, they're good snakes, thank you. And, and they eat the tiny little rodents, and they're good for you if you live out in Bonkerville, okay? And so, but Mirinda wouldn't have anything of it. I'm like, we can't kill this guy because he'll eat the rodents that we're trying to kill. But not, not Mirinda. Because one time I was trying to, I was about to leave her, and the kids went out to some conference or something, and she's like, you will not leave this house unless you kill that stupid snake out there. I was like, but the snake is good. And so, yeah, that's a weird story. I don't know where I'm going with the story, just to tell you that we don't like snakes, and snakes are strange. All right, we equate them to evil, Satan, serpent, right? That's what we equate them to. But there's something else that's going on in verse 14 that you need to understand. Verse 14 is a reference See, Jesus is talking in Nicodemus language because Nicodemus would have known this story because this was a reference to something that Moses did in Numbers chapter 21. I wasn't going to read it, but I think I will anyway to make this sermon even longer. You ain't got to turn there. I'll just read it unless you want to. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. Now, when they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom, but the people became impatient because of the journey. I don't know why I got to read it like that. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? And I'm sure that's exactly how they said it. There's no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Y'all ever had wretched food? Husbands, you weren't supposed to. Guys, come on now. Oh, my God. We detest Miranisha's wretched food. So then the Lord sent, listen to what God did. Like, are you going to talk about my cooking? I'm going to send poisonous snakes to bite every single one of you jokers and kill you. Like, mama got mad. You know what I'm saying? You ever talked bad about your mama's cooking? Did she ever put a poisonous snake on you? No, the answer, hopefully not. That's just weird. But this is what God did. So then the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the people said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. And whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. That's strange. All right, y'all talk about some weird stuff in the Old Testament. This serpent was not something that was meant to be preventative for the people. It was a cure for the people. And God used a snake to cure his people. All right? Now, now listen to this. This is what's happening here. This is why I think Jesus used the reference and is comparing himself to a snake. Because you and I, we have been poisoned. In your depravity, you are poisoned with sin. Jesus is trying to parallel something that happened in the Old Testament here by giving them this reference. And he's saying, and the only cure for your poison is for you to look to me. Because notice what he says. He says, 
and, and I will be lifted up. This is not a, a lifting up of his glory. This is a lifting up of him being on the cross. And who are the people who are going to lift him up? According to John chapter 8, it's the Pharisees. It's their sin. They are the ones who lift Jesus up. And so he's telling Nicodemus and he's telling us in this universal language that the only cure for your poison is to look to me. And I, and I think that here's Jesus not only saying that the cure for poison is to look to him, but he's also telling them that he becomes the snake. He becomes the poison. I mean, isn't that like what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2 says? That for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. That we may through him become the righteousness of God. And in Galatians chapter 3, uh, Galatians chapter 3 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By what? Amen. Becoming the curse. So Jesus becomes the figurative snake so that Nicodemus could understand his full depravity. Do you see who you are? You are poisoned. You'll never understand the reality of John 3.16 until you understand the reality of your depravity, of who you really are. You and your sin, you've been poisoned by it. And the only remedy that there is found is to look at Jesus. Jesus saying that I will be lifted up because of your sin. I will become sin. And the only remedy to your poison is to look at the beauty of the cross that I will become sin so that you might have my righteousness so that when the wrath of God is being readily available to pour out on you on judgment day, he will not see you as the poisoned person that's been bitten by sin. He will see you as the righteousness of God. Yeah. This, is so, this is why John 3.16 is so spectacular. Like, I get, I'm so amped up right now. I don't know if it's because I had like 30 gallons of coffee or if it's the Sudafed, I'm not sure. Like, I, I feel like running around right now, like getting all charismatic, but I won't do that uh, because as Baptist folks, we get really nervous about that kind of thing. <laughs> this is the new birth. This is why this is so good news because I look to Jesus and there I find my cure to my soul. I look to Jesus and there I find that it's not in my own doing that I get what he's about to offer. I look to Jesus because I know I can't do it. I look to Jesus because there is nothing on this earth that will satisfy. I wonder how Nicodemus probably felt if this was Jesus telling him this. Like Nicodemus, the only way out is not your religious rituals. The only way out is not uh, how much knowledge you have of the Torah. You got to understand these guys, they had to memorize, right? And he, just think about that. Like, the only verse we have memorized is John 3.16. <laughs> I hope. Most of us. These jokers, and here's Jesus just, just laying the bomb on him. He's like, Nicodemus, even you, with all of your accolades, you are filthy. And the only way out is not through anything you can do or anything you can obtain. It's to look at me. Look at, look at Jesus on the cross. 
See, this is why John 3.16 is so spectacular. This is why it's called good news. Right? It's good news now. It's good news because, good God, you're all poisoned. How's that for a happy Father's Day message? You poisonous vipers, right? And so this is why the gospel is called good news. It's good news because without it, you're dead. I want you to see this. This is a universal indictment. You are morally corrupt. You are legally condemned. You are spiritually dead. And now because of what Christ is about to do, now we have life. The only way out. Jesus says, I am the only way, the truth, and the life. So now that we got the bad news out of the way, and now that I've made you all feel like you're poisoned, you need to go to take a shower. Here's the good news. Listen to verse 15. Because I want you to get the, the full scope of the reality of God and why he came. So that who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this word in, in verse 16, for, that's the, the article that's just going to draw everything that we just read together, right? So this is the piece of the puzzle that's, that's piecing everything together, for, right? This is the, the best news. God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I'm just going to stop right there. Um, again, good news, because through Jesus we have, we have life. We have not just life here. We have eternal life with Christ, with him forever. And we all need good news, right? I mean, I, I watch the news. I probably watch it way too much. It just angers me. I mean, it's just like me, 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 like all the time. Marina gets mad because I watch news at night. She's like, can we please watch something else like Kardashians? Like, that's any better. God save redemption, uh, those people, and Miranda that supports them. Um, but this is going to be good news for us for change, right? We all need some good news. I want to just draw out just a few words again. I, this sermon could take three years uh, just going through this these few verses, so... You'll see so many other things, but I'm just going to draw out a few phrases. I, I love the word that God so loved. I love this because this is emphatic love. This is, this gives us the idea of a pursuing, passionate love of God for his people. God so loved us, he had no conditions. God so loved us that he, he looked beyond our poisoned self. God so loved us. And so we, we love stuff, right? But we don't really understand. We can't really fully grasp the love that God has for us because I think in our culture, we have taken the word uh, love and we have removed and stripped the weight of that word and its meaning. I mean, because you'll say you love a lot of things, right? You love stuff, you love that new car, you love that new house, you love uh, your boo-boo, you love your dog, you love food, uh, you love all of these different things, but none of those things really even mean they can compare to what God's love for us is. God's love looks beyond all borders. It does not even have any type of uh, racial preference 
So, so if this is Jesus saying this to Nicodemus, this would have even just floored him even more. Because in my view, Nicodemus probably had this assumption that God's love was his covenant love just for the Jewish people. And he could have easily understood that. I would have easily got into that. And so for him to say that God's love was so massive that it reached beyond the Jewish people, that just would have sent shockwaves to the hearers of this message. And now it's not just for the Jews, but God so loved what? His creation. It's you and I, and it transcends time, and it transcends just this group of people that he loves all of us so much that he was willing to give his son. Now, this is not created being Jesus, right? This is not Jesus where God Father had some uh, heavenly relation with some celestial being in heaven and birthed Jesus. That's not the case, all right? Neither is it what the Muslim brothers and sisters would believe that uh, God had relations with Mary. This is not the truth, okay? Because that counters all of the Bible. I mean, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 6 would say that there is one God, and here is Jesus, co-equal with the Father, two of the trinities right here. That God so loved us so much that he was willing to put flesh and bone on and become like one of us, fully God, fully man. Now let's talk about your love, honey. Your love that, uh, that is so fluid for people. Your love that has conditions for some people. Your love that does not see beyond a person's issues. But that's not Christ's love. God's love was willing to give his best himself and pour out his love. This is like, this is God saying, I'm ready to, like I I love saying this because it bothers me when I say this, but here's God saying, I'm going to waterboard you with my love. I don't know why I reference God as like some kind of terrorist (laughs) camp, like he's going to terrorize you. But this is like, this is just this love that you just can't escape. It's God's love pouring out of himself on you. Amen. That God so loved, not a little bit of love, but he so loved you. He's madly in love with you that he would die for you. Amen. Now, this is why John 3.16 is so popular. This is why we don't need to take the gas off of this verse because our culture needs to hear this. You as a believer have been equipped with the greatest message of the world that God loves you. He loves you. Like he so loves you. He's initiating his love for you. Like he's pursuing his love after you despite you and your poison. Despite who you are, God so loves you. He loves you and I. And I love the word that he gave. And so in verse 16 and then in verse 17, you'll see the word sin. And so for God did not send his son into the world, but to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So the giving in verse 16 is God sending his son into the world. Now this is his mission from heaven. 
This is the mission that he came to die. The mission is for him to come and hang on the cross so that you can look at the snake. So that you can look at Jesus on the cross and find the cure. That's his mission. This is the radical mission because it's going to take something radical to remove us from our poisoned self. And so he comes and he, and he just lavishes his love on us and he gives himself up for you and I. Which I'll never understand. And John 15 would later say that there's no greater love than this than one who would lay down his life that's the kind of love that Christ had for you. That he was willing to give himself up. That is his greatest act of love. Listen to me carefully, friends. His greatest act of love was not creating the world, wasn't doing any of that. His greatest act of love, and just my opinion here, is that he would step out of eternity and die for us. I mean, we deserve this wrath. We deserve the poison. But God's love was so much that he came to give a cure. He came to give a remedy. Now, I don't know, like, whatever else you think about God and what your image of God is, like God's, uh, whatever that image is for you, you need to have that image of God in your head. Amen. That God loves you. Anyway, I was growing up in, in church, and, you, and I'm, I'm, I'm a very open person, as you can tell. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a charismatic church in a type of, we were Pentecostal, all right? So running around was kind of something. If you didn't see it, then somebody say, well, I guess the spirit wasn't in there. And, you know, it's just <laughs> weird theology. I, thank God I'm out of that. But here's one thing that I, that I always, that, that broke my heart. And I'm, I'm not chastising anyone or anything, but I rarely heard about the love of God I rarely heard that he came to die. It, it seemed as if that John 3.16 was put on the back burner to be like the intro to salvation. And so everyone was like, well, I just need deeper revelations. I need deep things. Like, let's talk now about tongues. Like, tongues was like the deep waters of the gospel, but that's not true. The deep waters of the gospel that will keep you is the love of God. The, the thing that will save your life is the love of God. The thing that will save your marriage is the love of God. The thing that will save your children is the love of God. The thing that will save you from yourself is the love of God. Amen. There's no greater news than that. So he came, he gave, his mission was to die. And then this last little phrase I'm going to draw out of here is that we would, I mean, there's just, just one word, y'all, believe. I mean, isn't that like John's whole message in the book of John? I mean, he, he tells everybody at the last part of his, his book, he's like, look, I just wrote this book so y'all believe. I just, like, I need you to believe this. This is truth. Like, to believe, it gives the uh, idea that we are trusting in someone or trusting in something. And here's the question for you. Like, what are you trusting in? 
What are you believing in? Like some of us may be in here this morning and you said, well, when I was six years old, I said a little prayer and I've tucked Jesus in the back of my pocket and I just, I just pull him out anytime I need him. You're not trusting in the God of the Bible. You're not trusting in the Jesus of the Bible. Are you trusting him for who he really is? Because that's the question. Not for what he can offer you, not for what he can do for you, but are you trusting that he is who he says he is? He is the bread of life. He is the resurrection and life. That's who Jesus is. Are you looking to the Jesus of the Bible? Not some Jesus who's your genie in a bottle and you just only use him when you need him. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. Are you trusting in the Jesus of the Bible? Are you looking at your eyes set on him? Notice when you, when you look at something, you have to look away at everything else. So my eyes are fixed on Jesus. I have to look away from myself. I have to look away at the other people around me. I'm trusting, believing that he is who he says he is. What are you trusting in? What are you believing this morning? Do you believe that he is Christ, that he is the Messiah? Like, hear me this morning, church. I know I sound like one of those firebrimstone preachers this morning, but you, it's all right. Uh, I get a pass on that every now and then, okay? <laughs> but eternity is in the balance here. Yeah. I would rather this morning sound like the hellfire and brimstone preacher, knowing that you've heard fully who you are, that you've been poisoned, and the only remedy out is to look to Jesus. Yeah. Because that's the way that I have as a preacher. I can't assume that every single one of you here this morning have put your trust in Jesus. I can't assume that. I can assume that some of you have probably put your trust in some American-type idea of Jesus, but I can never assume that you have fully put your trust in Jesus Christ. Are you looking to him? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Are you looking to Jesus? When I was studying through this, um, I, I came across a, a, a pastor, and he was—he uh, shared the story of, of Charles Spurgeon on his conversion. And I thought I was going to uh, use this. This is actually from um, an autobiography of, of Spurgeon. Uh, you can go look it up later. But this is how Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in the 1800s, uh, this is how he came to the knowledge of, of Christ. Uh, and I'm going to read this. And then I'll, I'll, I'll pray over us and we'll, we'll, we'll just follow the Lord. I sometimes think that I might have been in darkness and despair now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning. And I should add that Charles Spurgeon at this point is 15 years old and this is some kind of snowpocalypse that's happening uh, in his town that they weren't really accustomed to. So God sends this snowstorm. When I was going to a place of worship, when I could go no further, I turned down a cord and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. And I would have kept walking. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) In that chapel, I'm just kidding. I've served in Methodist church. In that chapel, there might be a dozen or 15 people. The minister didn't even show that morning. Snowed up, I suppose. A poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or 
something of that sort, went up to the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. The text was Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. He didn't even pronounce the words rightly, but that, that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. Because at this point, Charles Spurgeon had been trying, he'd been searching so much, and he just, he just couldn't figure things out in his salvation. And so there he was, and he begun thus. My dear friends, this is a very simple text, I, uh, indeed. It says, look. Now, that does not take a deal of effort. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and you, yet you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look, a child can look, but this is what the text says. Then it says, look unto me. Amen. A, said he, many of ye, I love how this is like this old world language, this is so hard to read. Many of ye are looking to yourselves. No use looking there, because you'll never find comfort in yourselves. And the good man followed up his text in this way, look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look, I am dead and buried. Look to me. I rise again. Look to me. I ascend. Look to me. I sit at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me. Look to me. When he had got about that length and managed to spend about 10 minutes, he was at the length of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery and I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. And then he pointed me out and said, young man, you look very miserable. Okay. I mean, if he wasn't miserable, he is now. <laughs> Y'all remember those days when the preacher would call somebody out? You back there, sit down. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That stuff happened, y'all. Y'all better be glad I'm the preacher here, okay? <laughs> Calling out my children. Judge, stand up. You look very miserable, he yelled at him. Well, I did. But I had not been accustomed to have remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. <laughs> However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, and you will always be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death. If you do not obey this text but if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved, young man. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Then he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist can do, Young man, look to Jesus. There and then, the cloud that was clouding my mind was completely gone. The darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them, the precious blood of Christ, because now I see, because I'm looking at Jesus. My friends, the only way out of your poison is to look to Jesus. It's the good news of the gospel. 
It's good news because you're dead in your sin. It's good news because you're legally condemned. It's good news because you're morally conduct. You are morally corrupt. But the good news is that Christ has become the curse for us. All we need to do is believe and look to Jesus. That's the good news of 316. Think about the power that it has and the power that Christ has now equipped you with, with this powerful message. It's for God so loved you that he removed the poison in your life, the poison that was killing you, hanging on the cross and dying for you. Believe, trust, look to Jesus. So, Father, I pray that our hearts, our minds, we understand the full weight of this. We'll never understand who you have called us to be until we really recognize who we are. Oh, that we are poison, but Christ, now you have called us the righteous of God. No longer are we dead. Now we're alive. No longer are we condemned. Now we are free because of you, Christ. May our eyes always be focused on you. May our hearts always be attuned to you. May we always have a spirit that is looking in our eyes, looking to you. May we never feel like we got to graduate from that. God, we look to you, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here and you need to say, I, I believe, I confess. I'm not asking you to say a prayer. I mean, just God is granting you right now the gift to believe. And so you just believe. And look to Jesus. Because it's Jesus. He's our salvation. So let's just open up a time of prayer, confession. I'll be up here. Marina's here. Uh, Mimi and Trey are over here, and we'd love to pray over uh, you. Don and Jerry right over here. We'd love to pray for you if you need prayer for anything this morning.